1: Holly hey Dave what is going on today today is a good day in the land of the what difference does it make podcast don't you think
0: yeah I love talking to songwriters it's uh, just getting some insight into what, how to create a song. It's a big mystery to me. And our guest today, Mary Gosche, kind of lifts the veil in a way of how a song is created.
1: She does. Mary wrote a book saved by a song, The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting, which is really, it was a great book because yes, she talks about the art of songwriting, but she also talks about it. It's a kind of a memoir.
0: Yeah, she speaks her truth through songs. Uh, We are all the better for it. And now we have Mary Gaucher in our What Difference Does It Make studios. So, uh, shall we get right into it, Holly?
1: Let's get to it with Mary Gaucher
0: on the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
1: First
2: question,
0: very important. It's Gaucher,
2: correct? Yeah, I'm born in New Orleans. It's a Louisiana uh, pronunciation of a French name. It's impossible stage name. I should have changed it in the beginning. But in Louisiana, it's a common name. I didn't realize I'd be up against the level of difficulty. It's <laughs> Gaucher, yeah.
1: I'm glad. I was thankful that you had put it, I think, a couple of times in your book, the correct pronunciation.
2: Yeah, it's not even correct. I don't care how people say it. it awesome. It's just how my family says it. Are you in New Orleans right now? I'm in Nashville Oh, Nashville, okay
1: Have you played at all in Nashville? No, because the place that I play
2: is the Bluebird Cafe And it has not reopened Uh. yet
1: Oh, okay.
2: I have played several times. i played in Key West three times during the pandemic outside. We did a couple of one-ofs in Houston, where they have a very beautiful uh, socially distanced setup with a four-camera shoot that live streams it. That was awesome. They did a beautiful job there. To keep their venue alive, I went and helped them. Um, I got vaccinated in February, so I was able to get out pretty early. Uh, but tonight we're going out and we're doing an actual tour. So that's the first actual tour where we're doing day date, 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 date,
1: Are you looking forward to
2: it? Are you you nervous at all? I'm so excited. Let's go. (laughs) It's, it's time to go to work. I'm ready. All the makeup dates that have been rescheduled five, six, some of them seven times are now going to play in the venues that survived. So, The makeup dates have landed and it's intense. Most of us got on stage and cried. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, I never imagined this could be taken away. And uh, new levels of appreciation certainly appeared, especially for the mom and pop venues. Who are just trying to survive. I just love them so much. They've always, more or less, been non nonprofit. Without them, I mean, we couldn't. I couldn't do what I do. I mean, I'm not playing huge venues. I, I that was never my goal or my hope or my um, intention. I like small rooms with intimate crowds and that's usually the mom and pops and oh i love them so much the place you normally play in nashville you mentioned it that's like
0: yeah uh, the bluebird i've never had the pleasure of being at the bluebird what makes that so special because i've heard about the song circles and you know that's where everyone kind of tests out their material What, what what is it like there why is it so well,
2: the Bluebird is an institution in this town, and uh, it was opened by my friend Amy Curlin a whole lot of years ago. I don't know, something in the area of 30 years ago. I, I don't have the statistics of, of how long they've been there, but they're an institution, and um, it's a place where songwriters, it's a songwriter town. I'm in a songwriter town, and it's a place where songwriters can go play. It, here in Nashville, an awful lot of the songwriters don't perform. They write songs for their publishers who pitch them to artists who do perform, but the songwriters are not performers in many instances so it was a place built to host songwriters and they're not the greatest performers in the world but the songs are so awesome to see the guy who wrote I Hope You Dance or Friends in Low Places or oh my god uh, Don Schlitz the gambler you know he he never made a career on the road but he can deliver his song in such a authentic way so it was built as a place to go see the hit writers perform their songs and their catalog, and now I play there once when it reopens. I usually play there once a quarter, so four times a year I get to do my own show there. I kind of own Thursday night once every four months at the Bluebird. I miss it so much. All right, so that leads us to your
0: book, Saved by a <laughs> Song. All right, I love the book, I love the way you, you kind of set it up. You songs that have meant the most to you, either whether you wrote them or or whether you you've heard them and been inspired by them, the first song, chapter one, or where you talk about the song "I Drink," you went to a song. So you went to a song. It was a songwriting circle that you. Where you, you tried to debut this song and it didn't go as well as you would hope it would go?
2: I think you're referencing my uh, description of what it's like to get on stage what? There, uh, in the beginning. Yeah, I guess that's that's where you had you had a song. You you built up the
0: courage to to step on up on stage, kind of like you know open mic. What was it that that was driving you to, that you had to do this and sing this song?
2: Well, you know, I just felt drawn to the art form in a way that I didn't quite fully understand. It, it's also subconscious with me for so long because I really uh, was an alcoholic and an addict and everything that uh, comes with that, which is a lack of self-knowledge and a misunderstanding of life. And so I had to get sober and I did get sober. The book starts with the song I drink uh, and it starts with me getting arrested for drunk driving. That was July 19th. So this July, coming up, I'm going to be 31 years sober. He get home at 5.30, fix his drink, sit down in his chair.
3: Pick a fight with mama, complain about us kids getting in his hair. At night he'd sit alone and smoke I'd see his frown behind his lighter's flame Now that same frown's in my mirror I got my daddy's blood inside my veins Fish swim Birds fly that is you
2: So the book is a look back over the last uh, uh, 31 years of my life or so as a sober person starting to come alive and come awake and come out of the coma of addiction and starting to make sense of what happened. And importantly, why did this happen? And so getting on that stage, I didn't know it at the time. As as I described in the book, it was just the, one of the most terrifying things I had ever done. And it stayed that way for a really long time. I mean, you get fight or flight on stage. If you're not prepared for being in front of an audience, You get that animal fight or flight. You're in the crosshairs of someone's weapon it feels like you could die it is so scary and it's ridiculous you're just up there with a guitar to play a song but it's primal the bells and whistles go off and it feels like it could kill you a lot of people get this when they're asked to do public speaking and they're like oh no no i'm not gonna no it's terrifying and so i was pulled to it uh and i didn't understand at the time uh, but i was pulled to it because there was something inside me that didn't want to. I have addiction. And that's the nature of this whole book. And the thesis of this whole book is that for me, music and songs have been a part of my recovery.
1: I thought it was so interesting. And I wanted to read more about it was your transition from you owned a restaurant, you worked in restaurants and you owned a restaurant. And then one day, it, as it seemed to us from the book, you have these songs in you. This is what you want to do. This is how you get it out. Did you always know? I mean, you said you you could feel it, but did you always know you had it?
2: Mm-mm. No, that was what I was trying to describe when, when I first heard the Indigo Girls uh, on the radio before I got sober. There was a message in there for me, but I didn't know what it was. All I knew was the sound of those two voices broke my heart. It hurt me. It made me feel like jumping out of my skin it made me sick and I didn't know why I really liked it uh it wasn't that I hated it it was that I loved it so much and in retrospect it took a long time I didn't understand what the deal was why that was happening in retrospect the the sound of that music was pointing to an unlived life in me. They were making it possible uh, for people like me to do music in a way that was not allowed before them. I didn't know any of that was going on. I just knew that the sound of, you know, I just did an interview with Amy Ray um, oh, for nice. the uh, audio version of the book. We added added an extra section of, of me talking with Amy about this. And uh, it's hard to articulate when, when a soul knows something uh, and you feel it and you, you your mind reason can't catch up as fast it took a while for me to make sense of it and i think in the end what what the only sense i can make of it is that their music was pointing me in the direction of my music um, and I hadn't any idea that... I, I mean, I owned three restaurants at the time. I was doing fine in the restaurant business. There was no secret desire to be a songwriter. I'd put all that behind me a long time before. And I didn't even think about it. My guitar hadn't been picked up in 10 years. But there was. And it, it, it was the beginning of maybe answering the calling. The calling. The call to song. Or or the confusion around what is this led to uncovering the calling. I called it a personal Pompeii. There's a buried city in me, and I didn't know about it. And it was underneath layers and layers of addiction and trauma. So it had to rise, and, and uh, that, that sound of those voices was sort of the beginning of it for me, I think.
1: And it turns out you had a lot of stories to tell. Or you have a, you you lived a full life. <laughs> I have, an interesting life. I have,
0: I have stories. stories. <laughs> but, but it's it's in the telling of the story or creating a, a song. I, I think um Crit Harmon who co wrote the song with you. Um, yeah, we wrote he, that together. He so was he, my first producer. Yeah. So I, I I also in the book you kind of mention I, I love how you kind of put in lyrics that's okay we have to take this out we have to take this out yeah. you know you want to get to the essence of it you kind of related it to cooking reduction and um to focus in and what did crit
2: t- teach you about songwriting that, that made you a better songwriter oh god crit taught me a lot i was so green when i found him i we met at a, a songwriting workshop being taught by my dearly departed friend ralph murphy we we hit it off he i found out that he he produced a record I loved, Martin Sexton's Black Sheep record. I love that record. And uh, when I found out the producer was in the room, I was just like, magnetic. I'm like, you made that record. He's like. Yeah, what do you want from me? I'm like, everything. I want everything from you. Would you please, 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 please write with me. Help me. He became my very first mentor and teacher. And what we got to um together um was a song that I'm still playing every night on stage and has been recorded by so many other artists, uh really great artists like Tim McGraw and Bobby Bear and Casey Chambers' dad, Bill Chambers. But uh we just kept going in an elevator kind of Lower, lower, lower to the deeper truth, and it took a long time to write that song. It's a very, very simple song, but in songwriting, uh, you got to be careful not to confuse simple with easy. Simple's hard. When Johnny Cash was asked uh, to give advice to songwriters, he says, "Write simple. It's the hardest." Thing. And simple, so that everyone can
1: understand it. Dave, that's what you were talking about. But when you physically crossed out the words in the song to show us, you know,
2: yeah, this is too complicated, or this goes out into left field, and we don't have room or time for left field in a song, or this is this is only partially true. In songwriting, you're not you're not dealing with the facts like in a court of law, but you're dealing with the emotional truth, and so there's little ways of hiding your vulnerability that make it less true than it could be. And that's what we learned working together on that song to just get rid of the fig leaves, like get naked there and show, show the deal. And, and what we ended up with was a character that was me, but wasn't me. I'm, I'm there, but it's not necessarily me, but I'm all up in there. I ended up with a character who's just matter of fact about I'm a drunk, I'm a drunk. Fish swim, birds fly, drunks drink. And um, I got that at an AA meeting actually, 12-step meeting. Um, I heard some a biker tell a young kid who was asking, how do you do this? This is hard. And the biker, with a little bit of recovery, said, son, fish swim, birds fly, drunks drink. It's hard. That's why we go to these meetings. That's why we need each other. We're going against our nature. Every day sober is going against our nature. And it'd be like a bird not flying or a fish not swimming. And that's stuck in my brain. And that's where the song began. OK, we're having a,
0: a wonderful chat with Mary Goshen. She is the author of the book Saved by a Song The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting We're going to take a break right now And we'll be right back
4: Hello Pantheon Podcast listeners Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience With Raycon earbuds Our family now has three pairs Of Raycon earbuds around the house And my wife just grabbed a pair of the Headphone Pros to replace some headphones From a company that was double the price And yes, she loves them
1: Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Mary Gaucher.
0: Talked about getting to the truth and how painful that can be. Initially, was, was, was that hard for you? I mean, I, I, as you've as you described, Always yeah, hard. like, do I want people to know this when you step up on a stage? Do I wanna know it?
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's the big question. (laughs) Look, the only thing more painful than not getting than, than getting to the truth is not getting to the truth. You know, I started the book with that quote from the Gospel of Thomas that I think is just so relevant for artists. Um, and the, uh, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And this is really true for yeah. people in recovery from addiction. You've got to get it out. You've got to get in recovery, and recovery means bringing it forth. And you've got to look at it. And at it, you've got to look at yourself. And uh, it's hard, and it's painful, and it's not something you want to do alone. Uh, When your brain is broke, it can't fix itself. Broke brain can't fix broke brain. So I was lucky enough to find songwriting and recovery at about the same time, and they've both been so important to me as I move through uh, decades of still learning about what what happened and why it happened and uh, who I am and what it is I'm here to do on this earthly plane you know somewhere along the way I stumbled into writing with uh, veterans who are dealing with trauma and during COVID I was blessed to work with doctors and nurses on COVID units helping them to articulate their stories uh, in song so it's got it's it's if you look back over the life, it's got connected. There's reason and, and connection. But when you're in the middle of it, it just feels like a swirl. It's hard to see. Oh, this led to that. That led to this. So, so the connectedness is hard to articulate until you write it. That's why writing this book was real important for me, to to see what, what the hell happened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Will you talk a little bit about how you got connected with the veterans? Because it sounds like I loved hearing the couple of individual stories you told. Yeah. Yeah, that was
2: real important to me. Um, uh, It still is. Because I see the power of song in their life. I see, I know what it's done for me. But now I get to see what it can do for people who have no idea that a song could help them. I mean, they show up at these retreats like, it's like, this may be the lowest point ever. Now I'm in Kumbaya. Uh You know, they, 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 they don't show up thinking songs are gonna help them. They have no understanding of how that could possibly be. And so we're there to work with them uh, in a non-judgmental way to help them tell their stories. I was invited to do it by the founder of Songwriting with Soldiers, Darden Smith. Um, I was recommended by a friend of mine who had done an early retreat uh, with him uh, named Daryl Scott. Daryl recommended me, Darden embraced me, and I've been part of the organization for eight years now. In fact, we just I'm going to be doing a retreat uh, with uh, bomb experts in August. Another wow. retreat with uh, a group of people who I'm sure are dealing with, with multiple levels of trauma.
0: And how do you help the soldiers? I mean, you, do you feel like you're a psychologist or just kind of drawing out some memories for them or, or just a phrase that, as you talk with them? How do you create a song with, with someone who has no familiarity with this, this process?
2: <laughs> That's a great question. I think the songs help to help them more than the songwriters. Uh, and here's how I think it works. Now, there's brain science uh, studies being done right now around this. But here's how I think it works. We go in, we we sit with a veteran, uh, and we ask uh, one-on-one. I'll sit with the veteran at a retreat center, a safe container. There's usually three songwriters, six veterans, and a support staff. We have a psychiatrist. We have a chef. We have volunteers which consists of veterans that have already been through the Songwriting with Soldiers retreat, coming to support their brothers and sisters after they've already gone through the process and to let them know that it's cool, man, this works. This does something. And so we've got the volunteers, the therapists, the cooks. we got coordinators, the group leaders, and the songwriters and the veterans. And so it's a pretty, it's like 20 people. I'll sit down in a little room with the veteran and just start asking questions. When did you serve? Where did you serve? How old were you when you enlisted? Um, How are you feeling right now? Is there anything you want to write about? And we'll just build trust. And the most important thing is I sit in non-judgment and try to get them to open up to me. Uh, Pull out the guitar at some point and start strumming it. The music that I play is intentional. I, I try to have the music reflect what they're telling me they're feeling. So that the music lets them know that I hear them. And I see them, and I'm not judging them. Uh, I don't diagnose. I'm not a doctor. I don't come up with solutions for their problems. I'm not uh, in the solution business. I'm in the storytelling business. All I want is to help them get the best possible song with me and tell their story at the most authentic level. And so they inevitably open up, and then we get this song, and here's where it starts to really get interesting. We take this song in front of the group. They've opened up to me. And that's just happening in other rooms with other songwriters. And they're not fully aware that we're going to take that song and play it in front of all their brothers and sisters that night. And that's when they get scared. They get nervous because they've been vulnerable in the songwriting, Because that's what it takes to write a good song. They may say things that, that they might not have wanted to say to a large group, and what happens is when we play the song, they usually are terrified. It's the best part of the whole retreat for me, because what happens is their brothers and sisters, their fellow soldiers, start to tear up, and then they start to cry, and then they want to just grab that that coat, that veteran, and just say, "Me too, man. Me too." And in that sacred "me too" moment, they're not alone. Rifles and rolls.
3: You hold on to what you need Vicodin, morphine dreams Rifles and rosary beads Yellow smoke, orange haze Blowing into my eyes Whistling sunset bombs. I couldn't trust the sky. Rivals and rosary beads. You hold on to what you need. Vicodin morphine dreams. Rivals.
2: Roll me. And uh, empathy is a powerful thing. Yeah. Empathy is what we've been uh, lacking, especially uh, in the area of uh, of military service, because we don't even know these people. They've been kept way away. The the, the civilian-military divide is, is the Grand Canyon. We don't see the caskets unloading from the tra- planes and trains. We don't see their sacrifice. We don't talk to them. We're not given an opportunity to meet them. I mean, during the vietnam era i'm old enough to remember the soldiers and talking to them playing music with them at a bar and there's a whole passage in my book about that but uh this generation of veterans they're just they're they're separated out there's people who've served that are in the music business i didn't even know they were veterans so they don't talk about it so much so getting them to talk and then having them be witnessed by their brothers and sisters something poisonous gets released it's aloneness that gets released, and they're connected with people who totally empathize, and it's it's transformative in a way that uh, brings hope. It brings hope. Yeah. We need to not we need to not be alone. We need to know we're not alone, especially people carrying trauma. That's yeah. a long answer. No, it is. I mean, <laughs>
1: it's fascinating, though. I think this yeah. program is it's it's. It, it, if there was way to spread it past i mean is it solely in nashville now or oh other?
2: no we do retreats all around the country and i think that the the methodology that we've developed over the last eight years, eight years would work with any group of traumatized people Be it women who are dealing with sexual trauma, or kids who have been uh, fostered uh, and abandoned, or kids who have addicted parents, or people who have had medical trauma. You name the trauma, I think songwriting can help articulate it and start to transform it because transformation happens when you know you're not alone. And the problem with trauma is you cannot find the words because there are no words, it's ineffable. This What happened is is so beyond language, but music can creep in and help express that deep uh, sense of, of loss and grief and terror. And uh, there's just a, a language in the melody uh, that, that words don't reach, they can't reach. So when you buy, combine a true story with a melody that that complements it, you're really cooking with gas. And, and things start to things start to change. I've seen amazing things happen. I, I wrote uh, that song, Still on the Ride, uh, with Joshua Gertz. He was a sergeant in the Army whose Humvee uh, rolled over improvised explosive device, and he ended up in a wheelchair. And a couple years after uh, we wrote, he had done a lot of work and uh, found himself standing with the cane. And eventually, he let that wheelchair go. And he's walking now. Wow. it gave him the hope to do the work and he just didn't have that before that that moment of being seen and and oh I forgot this part and this is a really important part what happens is that the co-writers realize their song can help other people yeah. and these are volunteers our military is full of volunteers if you tell them their song can help other people this speaks to what they're made of which is service
0: is it just hearing the words spoken out loud or just something that they said or, and thought and that you put it in, in a musical phrase that that might be less harmful than just
2: speaking it? If it's sung, yeah. it's, it's less <laughs>
0: harmful? Is that what you think it is? Yeah, that's, and that's also
2: you want to write something that's singable. Yeah. <laughs> well, having, that's... Your, having your having your life story sung back to you is, is a wild feeling. And then other people jump in and sing and nod and they tell you that that's their life, too. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's a bridge from soul to soul and heart to heart. And you realize, oh, man, they're carrying this, too. I'm not, I'm not the only one. Uh-huh. That, that's where things start to bring hope. That's powerful.
1: Kind of leading into that, the feeling. Can you describe the feeling of having other artists record your music and hearing, hearing their versions of your music? Oh, it's an honor every time. It's just an honor, you know. Mm-hmm. I- Every single
2: time it, it it makes me feel proud that i've I've put something out that that resonates to enough that other people want to sing it. There's levels of connecting. When a songwriter's song gets sung by other people, sometimes I don't even like the version but I'm still honored and amazed. But when, when I really like the version, and it hits me like that singer owns this song. Like Bobby Bear's version of I Drank is just, he owns, man, it's his song. He mastered that thing. It's just great. Uh, that's a whole other level of oh my god but anybody singing the song even even if it's not a version that i fully musically understand or appreciate i'm still like thank you thank you thank you thank you does it ever surprise you if someone brings out something that you didn't
0: expect like you know you wrote a song years ago and now it resonates today i think at the end of the year boy george
2: did a version of mercy now and all that of a sudden, came, like yeah, like oh, yeah, I came from left field. Right? I love how he sings that song. He sent me a message on Twitter. Oh, Mary! <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's really him. Um, I love how he sings that song. He owns it. He just makes it his, and that's what I hope for when people record my song—that they just. It means so much to him that that they, they take possession of it. And uh, he did that. That was, that was thrilling. It still is thrilling. Every now and then I look at it and go, damn, how the heck did that happen?
3: My father could use a little mercy now. The fruits of his labor. Fall and rot slowly on the ground His work is almost over It won't be long He won't be around I love my father He could use some mercy now
0: Telling a lot of different stories for you. And one of them is your, your life journey. Like, where did I come from? Who am I? I mean, that's the, I guess, the ultimate journey, but you're an adopted child. And I can't remember if you say it in the book, like, what was it that, that jarred? Like, I need to pursue this even more now and, and find out who I am.
2: Yeah, pretty much it's the music and the songs drove me to go find the story. It wasn't a story that I spent my life wondering about. I just didn't. It was um, not something that, uh, I mean, some adoptees do. I just didn't. It's like, nope, my mama is my mama. Barbara Goche. that's my mama.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, music and song, again, they're like, yeah, but you got this other mama floating around out there. And there's this problem that you have at night where you feel like you're falling through space and it's terrifying. And uh, there's something about that feeling that drove you to the strongest drugs known to humanity. You might wanna take a look at the story and get to the bottom of it and take some pressure off that question mark that emptiness and it's like oh man I don't want to do this It's terrifying I don't want to do this and the you know I played a show in New Orleans and I ended up the show promoter at the uh, Ogden Museum of Louisiana Art uh, said you know that place where you uh, were adopted from is still there and uh, she just drove the car right over to it while I'm in the car and it didn't even occur to me to go there or that it was still there or why would I want to go there and uh, you know I wrote a chapter in the book about walking in that place and um, and knowing like it was spooky and something just went ploop you've always <laughs> felt you were going to write a concept record called The Foundling well the time is now and so the music and songs just forced me down that avenue where I had to, uh, almost against my own better judgment, uh, start trying to locate my birth mother. And I did, and uh, it did help me a lot to understand some of what had happened. Um, And, you know, we reached an impasse quickly, and that chapter ended. I had to get the courage to do that to help heal that hole in me, and uh, it's so much better since I did that, and I don't exactly know why, but it is, you know. It's not like we met or we've incorporated ourselves into each other's life, or I talked to her on the phone once and then again briefly, and that's it. But yeah. something, something healed it,
0: in yeah, me. It was yeah. healing for you, yeah.
2: Well, I was able to go, you know, she was in a system in a time where... She, she, in many ways, was victimized. You know, it, nobody talks about, you know, unmarried fathers. She was an unmarried mother in 1962, and she was in trouble. And so, you know, the only thing to do is to put her, is to put herself in this catholic institution and and give birth and and uh, relinquish me the child and get the hell out of there and never mention it again because of the shame dumped on her head by the time she lived in i guess i found um, some peace around knowing it wasn't her fault and it wasn't my fault it was a much bigger thing than me and her
0: the record at all? or I mean, you probably never have got in touch with... Uh, her, she her.
2: doesn't want to do this work. Yeah, I gotcha. And so I'm not going to impose it on her. She just wants the door to be shut, and she needs that, and I'm going to honor that. I think it would help her to open it and do the work, but I'm not in charge of her. Right. I just got to do my own damn work and hope that, hope that I stay stable, which sometimes is...
1: Easier yeah. said than done. You've an outlet. Yeah.
2: yeah. I have songwriting. You yeah. Got a great. Yeah.
0: You touched on uh, like the find your voice, you started impersonate you impersonated other artists that you uh you know, your heroes. You started impersonating your like to get a, to find your
2: own voice. Kind of I think vent- that's how you find your voice, yeah. is, you, is you imitate the voices that have impacted you, and then you learn through imitation to find what it is that is your area of concern uh, and your sound. In the beginning, you don't know what you sound like. You haven't. Uh, discovered it or invented it yet so how do you go out there and sound like yourself when you don't even know what that is so you have to to sound like your heroes for a bit you know if you go on bob dylan's first record that's exactly what he did yeah it's what we all do we imitate and then we become original do you write
0: songs and think like this is a mary gaucher song or this is going to be for someone else it, it, do you because you know your voice now is, is there a difference do You, differentiate?
2: <laughs> you know. I- I just try to write the best possible songs that I can, and I'm always trying to write songs that I want to record, unless I'm being asked to write with uh, someone to help them with something that they're stuck on or that they want to record. But 99% of the time, I, I write in order to uh, make records because that's, that's what I do, yeah. I'm not really focused on writing for other people, although I write with other people if I can be of assistance from time to time. If you get
0: stuck on a song, like, yes. this is really good, I don't know... I think you touched on us in the book, like where you kind of changed the, the perspective on, on who the story is about. You kind, yeah. of, you kind of came up with a surprising answer. I guess I'm asking. Uh, Where's the point where yeah.
1: somebody would come in and, and, and in. help you, do that I, with you?
2: I need help. Please help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I know a whole lot of songwriters. And so sometimes I, I get this idea of uh, who could help me here. And I'll reach out, co-write a lot, and I have my go-to people that I write with most of the time. So most of my writing these days is co-writing. Uh, and I know this idea—if I have one, I should write with this person, or this idea, I should write with that person. Um, but when I get stuck, I don't—I I, don't—I uh, don't hesitate to ask for help um, to try to get a song done. I want to get to the finish line, you know. Most of my songs don't get recorded, and, and you don't hear them. I'll like one out of every nine or ten I think is good and you know my batting average is not that high (laughs) I write a lot and uh and the good ones rise to the surface and there'll be a lot of songs left behind that I didn't record because there was something not quite right and that's just how it is for me
1: do you ever come back to them
2: no I can't it's gone (laughs) I might get parts out of them like go back and, and use that steering wheel or grab that tire or you know carburetor but mostly I'll use them for parts I can't Go backwards and fix it. I've tried and tried and tried. It's just gone. Yeah. It just came and went. Yeah, I've tried. Are you a disciplined writer? Do you set certain hours for writing or do you wait until the muse comes? and then? And... <sighs> I'm so undisciplined. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the book was disciplining because I had a, a, a deadline and I didn't get to uh, change it. Like, here's your deadline. <laughs> like, right. oh, God. Uh, you want to get paid? Give us a book. And that was good for me. I'd sat here at this desk for seven, eight hours a day for months. And that was good. Uh, with songs, yeah, i you know, I'll do a writing date on Zoom now. With this technology, it's a lot easier uh, with uh, some of my co-writers. And, and we'll just, we'll just work for you know three four days and and then I'll go a month or two months and not not right I don't feel like I need to push myself so hard anymore 10 records into a career now I'm in a book release it's like yeah I'm out on fire with it right now and that's okay I, I don't have to push hard I did in the beginning I was doing a record every two years for a decade
1: and you can always go out and play live and you know change it up
2: yeah got a lot of songs to choose from
0: I guess I mean that's just the opposite of uh, of working at a restaurant because you you had to be there. Was it the stress? That, yeah, that, that that's left? part of it. Yeah, that's
2: part of it. Yeah, um, that uh, the freedom of being not not having to worry about it. Uh, although I had managers and chefs and people working for me that would cover. Um, what needed to be done, I needed to be there for sure. And when the more I wasn't there, the worse it got over there. So I had to, uh, yeah, yeah. In the end, uh, um, it 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 required my presence. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't feel like uh, an urgency around it right now. I don't feel like mm, I have uh, deadlines. There, there's there's things that I need to say that I have said, and and uh, you know. I, i guess i don't know maybe age i just i'm not in a hurry about it it's i'm fine
1: you think you'll write another book
2: i hope so do you like the process um no i hate it it's worse than going to the gym times a million but i like <laughs> having it's like going to the gym in a way it's it's good that i did that you know i went swimming this morning i've been swimming every day a mile a mile a day and i'm about halfway in and i'm going this is hard i hate this Like, just keep going. And then when I get out of the pool, I'm like, you know, I feel like yeah, I'm a swimmer. You know, it's like I'm fighting old lady triceps with swimming and getting strong. I get self-esteem, self-respect out of it. And uh, with the book, I get uh, there's just this sense that I've always, always loved reading. I was a reader from the time I was a little person and being in the club of auth, To me, being in the yeah. club of authors is worth the hell of writing. Because, like, I get to be in the club. I admire authors so much because so- songwriting is one thing. Book writing, I mean, you could spend 10 years on a book and, and give it everything you've got and, you know, end up with 40 readers, you know. And, and, and 10 years of your life was just invested. I mean, it's 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 all or nothing. I mean, this is a serious commitment and i am forever in awe of authors i think it's an incredibly difficult thing to write a good book
1: me too so congratulations because this is a good one this is really just it's a great story and it's great there are great lessons you know and the process of writing songs on top of everything is just i mean it has every everything
2: Yeah, thank you. That's what I was trying to do is sort of tell my story as it related to songwriting as I practice it. So it's not just songwriting in general, but it's songwriting as a transformative art form. Songwriting in service to, uh, I guess, healing, although I hate that word. It's (laughs) overused. Songwriting in service to transformation. Uh, Salvation, you know, saved by a song. Uh, Songwriting as something other than just entertainment, which entertainment's great but this art form can be used for a, a variety of other things and one of them is uh, transformation because you're a songwriter and because this is the
0: anniversary of uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue I'm sure that that album had an impact on you can you kind of touch on on what that meant to you
2: oh my god what a what an incredible album especially as an adoptee um yes. she didn't um reveal uh uh, the story of the relinquishment of her child at the time, but boy, you can feel it. And we have, you know, the matching, matching wounds in a way. Birth mothers and adoptees find each other. And I've attached myself completely to several birth mothers that aren't my mother, but we, we match, we fit. I could feel that in those songs. I couldn't articulate it. She released a little video on her Twitter feed thanking people. Uh, she said, it took 50 years, but it it pleases me that people finally get this record. Um, she was so ahead of her time, so ahead of her time. Uh, I mean, she produced her own records. She was her own publisher. She invented a hundred and, I don't know, what, fifty-seven guitar tuning. She was so ahead of her time. We're going to be catching up with her for a long time. <laughs> Um, she's a master, and uh, and that song, that record is a masterpiece. It encourages me, actually, in a lot of ways. Like, if you really are ahead of your time, and if you really are visionary, it's going to take a while for people to catch up with you.
1: Yeah.
2: She's lucky enough to have survived her health crises to to see it. But a lot of artists don't live to see it. Towns didn't live to see it. Towns Van Zandt. He didn't live to see the appreciation for his work. Uh, you know, certainly Vincent van Gogh, there's great masters who don't live to see it. I'm glad she's lived to see the, you know, the just unanimous respect for her work and particularly uh, that record. Fortunately, you're still here and your songs
0: are appreciated and, you know, you've documented it now and it's. It's, it's wonderful that you're able to, uh, to put this out into the world, and those songs will be around Will be around for a long, long time. They ain't uh, going nowhere. You just def- got to go
2: find them. Yeah, wonderful interview. Thanks for letting me be on your show. We'll see you <laughs>
0: out in the care. road. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, thank y'all. All right, take
0: care. Thanks, Mary. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. All right, what a great talk with Mary. This was uh, really a treat. She
1: has such great stories. I love it. and she does so much. She's so interesting
0: well she's taken the art form of songwriting and just kind of let us know that anyone can really do it you just have to expose your truth which i don't know if i I can do can you expose your truth holly
1: okay i i thought about that a lot while i was reading the book and i thought and especially even even more now that we've spoken to her i thought maybe i could give that a go But I'm not sure I don't know The way she talks about putting yourself out there I'm not sure that I could take it that far Do you? What do you think?
0: Well Mary would say of course you can put it out there And you will feel all the better for it but it's hard truth is hard so uh that's why it's nice to hear other people's and as she describes in the book when you expose your truth it's healing it's trauma that you're healing so it was a great talk with her and and we had a wonderful time she's genuinely sweet i i I really enjoyed our our talk
1: yeah i enjoyed it too she's she's she has got a lot, a lot to offer.
0: We have a little bit to offer on our little podcast. This is your first time listening. Please subscribe. We have uh, snippets on YouTube, which Holly puts together magnificently. Please tell us all about that, Holly.
1: Thank you. You guys find us on, on YouTube at the What Difference Does It Make podcast. And I'm going to be posting outtakes of, of, of this chat with, with Mary and lots of others. So check it out and subscribe.
0: Thank you to Mary Gauthier for sharing her story with us and spending some time with us. Uh, also, thanks to Mary Vitale.
1: And Leah Johansson at St. Martin's Press. Thanks to Pantheon Podcasts.
0: We do this every Friday. We'll be back again next week. And until then, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later.
1: Over and out.
4: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football